You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. And on today's episode, we have a very talented musician, a songwriter, an author, a painter, and an old friend. We got a lot to talk about today. His name is Tim Wilkie. Tim, welcome to The Rick Z Show. Hey, Rick. Thanks. Thanks for doing it. It's great to see you. It's been a while. I know a lot about you. When I do research, I always find new things out about somebody, even close friends that I know. I don't know what you've been up to for 25 years. I know that your dad always wanted you to be Buck Owens. Uh, you used to- <laughs> <laughs> that, That's true. You used to tell me that all the time, but I don't know how you got into music and if you took guitar lessons and what led you down that path to playing music professionally. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, when I was about seven, my father was, like you were saying, in love with Buck Owens. So he bought me the guitar so that I could sing and play guitar like Buck Owens. And at that time, Buck Owens had his own TV show on. So he put me in front of the TV with the guitar, no lessons, and have me watch the show. Now, my father was one of these people that had the ability, he could pick up an instrument and within a, a week he'd be playing it, just by ear. I wasn't quite as talented as that. It took me a while, and finally I did take lessons in school. <laughs> Actually, the person that, that got me into doing it professionally was Paul Antonell. Really? He kept calling me, saying, you need to book time in the studio. That old chestnut. I need you to do your stuff in the studio. Why don't you come into the studio? <laughs> that's interesting. That's, that's what he said to me. <laughs> I think it's how he got his customers. <laughs> uh, I'm seeing a pattern emerge here. Right. <laughs> I didn't even know Paul until he was working with Greg Gruntler. You remember him? Yeah, he was related to my ex-wife. I didn't know that. Greg was Robin's cousin. I had no idea. That's why... Between you and me, and now everybody else, <laughs> when, when we didn't like the mixes that Paul would give us, Greg would sneak under the console and remix them. <laughs> That's hysterical. I didn't know that. <laughs> so your father was probably where you get your musical ability from, that side of the family. Oh, yeah, definitely. My mother was tone deaf. Really? Who were the musicians that influenced you, the, the people that you wanted to emulate, the people that you gravitated toward? Who did you like to listen to at that time? Actually, I was a very big folk fan. Peter, Paul, Mary Feck. I was probably more influenced by these people than I was by my father because we had a neighbor that had a, a bluegrass band up the street. The four of them would sit on the porch in the summer and play. And all the kids in the neighborhood, I mean, this was back in the 60s, all the kids in the neighborhood would plop down in the yard and listen. So All the folk groups, Joni Mitchell as they were coming along, and Joan Baez. Kingston Trio? Oh, yeah. Kingston Trio, definitely the Kingston Trio. Let's talk about how we first met. I don't know if you remember any of this, but back in the late 80s, I think probably somewhere around the spring of 88, Paul would have these open houses and he'd invite all the musicians that would record there at the time. You and your wife at the time, Robin, came mm -hmm. by and I got to meet you for the first time. Paul had just played me something of yours, a demo that you were working on. And when I met you, I remember being shocked that you weren't British. <laughs> I thought you were British. And, you know, and here right. you come, not British. And I was like, well, wait a minute. 
And it occurred to me while I was putting the show together, you know, Tim always sang with this kind of affected, almost British accent. Where did that come from? Actually, that came from when I was, when I first started working with Jeff Sella, because he was the first guy I, I arranged, we worked with. Because I was from basically Arizona, I'd spent my childhood in Arizona, he thought that I needed a more international accent. So we kind of tilted that way. <laughs> trying to make it more international and not so uh, down home. <laughs> and it, it must have just stuck because you always... Oh, it stuck and it, it... Well, people started liking it and I was kind of afraid to, to drop it at that point because it was like people would say, oh, I like this song and I like that song. And I was thinking, yeah, I wonder if you'd like it if Buck Owens sang it. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that you opened your mouth and it came out that way, but you were purposely doing that, you're saying. Oh, yeah. And actually, when I met you, Jeff had just left me high and dry. Because at that time, we had a few things booked. Hmm. Enter Rick Z. It's all coming together now. I'm, I'm... Yeah, enter Rick Z. Paul purposely introduced us. I didn't know that. I, I have a feeling that that was his intent. Yeah, very possibly. Because, of course, we went on to work together quite extensively. Before we even get to that, though, mm. I've had three managers in my life. It wasn't for a few years that I realized I could manage myself better than any of them could manage me. But you mm. were my first manager. Do you remember that? Yeah. Your ex-wife, Robin, at the time, for a lack of a better word, she was your manager. Why didn't you just manage yourself? And if you had somebody else managing you, like Robin really kept all your affairs together, musically speaking, what made you think you could manage other people? Well, to be perfectly honest, I had originally run the whole show myself as far as management. But in case we got signed on to rather than leave Robin at home, I wanted her to be involved in the group. I don't know whether you remember, but eventually she took over and uh, we got George along with her. George, I forgot all about George. Wow. Yes. <laughs> he, he didn't stay on the whole time, though, right? No, no. George helped her basically with different bookings and stuff like that. I mean, we didn't see him at a lot of practices and stuff. You know, this leads us to a big one, the Tim Wilkie Band. Let's talk about that. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I remember you called me, oh, I don't know, 1991, maybe. And you asked me to be the musical director of your band. Now, you had a musical director at the time, Chris Winham. So I'm not sure how he felt about that. But but right. uh, I, we talked about it. Uh, I had him on the show not too long ago. And he, he's forgiven me, apparently. So, um, <laughs> But the Tim Wilkie band, it was a big band. It was seven people in that band. And there must have been, over the period of two or three years, about 40 people that we auditioned for the band. I'm just going to list some because it's an amazing list of musicians. Steve Gravino, Dave Gravino, Carl Allwire, Ed Ryan, Mike Ralph, Bob Kaus, Dan D'Elia, Joe Medistro. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, even my wife at the time, Bev, played flute and sang for the band. Yes, she did. What are some of your memories about the band? I have many. Yeah, I have many. You mentioned Joe Magistro. Joe had worked with, originally had worked with Jeff and Greg and I. So he was kind of a callback. Joe went on to bigger and better things at the, than we were at the time. He, yeah. he, he was an incredible percussionist. As far as Chris, <laughs> if I remember correctly, Chris wanted more money than I could afford at the time. Mm -hmm. 
some of the people you mentioned, oh my God, it's like a flash from the back past. It's like, oh, remember Ed playing bass with us? And of course, Steve. You remember Dan D'Elia? You can't forget that guy. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> you know, there's times when I miss Dan. <laughs> uh, there's times when I miss Dan and I see him all the time. <laughs> Hey, you know what? He's a great percussionist. You can't knock his timing. No doubt about it. You know, I'll tell you a few things I remember about the band. I remember our first gig was at a bowling alley. You remember that? The whole bowling alley. Yeah, in, in Wappingers. I remember another time we played up in Kinderhook at this place, and a big rat ran out from under this old piano, and everybody just jumped. They scattered in the middle of the show. Yeah, that was the Autumn in a place called The Autumn, I believe. I think there was an old Italian club owner, that old school Italian club owner. He came running out in between sets and he said, I don't understand what you did. This doesn't sound like your demo. What's all this Zeppelin shit you're playing? <laughs> I was like, Zeppelin? We don't sound anything like Zeppelin. There were a lot- Not of even close. <laughs> no, not even close. You know what's interesting too, Tim? You're a guitar player, but you didn't play guitar in your own band. How come? At, to tell you the truth, I felt my at that time that my level of guitar was not up to the other musicians, hmm. and, and that's just being perfectly honest. I mean, I, I I knew how to play and stuff, but I just didn't feel that I was good as the rest of you guys. Well, I think at our best, we were a really good, solid band. I mean, we had a lot of great musicians in the band, and we had a solid sound. We had a big sound. We were a big band. You know, we were very well rehearsed. It was like a little family. The family members yeah. were changing, but it was still like a little family. We we had rehearsals on Sunday nights, and we'd all go out to the diner afterwards. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I really yeah. enjoyed that. And uh, yeah. Robin... Do you remember the Spumoni Gardens in Pine Plains? Yes, I barely remember playing there. We we opened them up. <laughs> we were the first band that ever played there. It sounds really familiar, but then it, they turned into Milano's, I think. Yeah, yeah. Then they became something else still. They still have music there, I believe, but under a completely different name. I hope they had better luck getting paid because the guy that used to manage it used to leave just before it was time to get paid and go home. I remember those days, yeah. And, and with a seven-piece band, you can't really hope to make much money, especially here in the Hudson Valley. Right. I mean, lots of times it was just gas money. And you know, we had we had people coming from out of state. We were happy just to make enough to get a hamburger at Mike's Diner over in Kingston. <laughs> All the good old days. All the good old days. Now, that leads me to my next topic, Stefano Ferrari. Oh, Let's talk about him for a second, because like a lot of musicians, you had to find other ways of making money. And before I knew you, you drove a cab for Horseless Carriage, a cab company here in Rhinebeck. Yeah. And I believe one day, Stefano Ferrari, oh, for those listening who don't know, Stefano Ferrari was the grandson of the legendary Enzo Ferrari, who created the Ferrari. And like a lot of wealthy people, he had a nice horse farm with his wife here in Rhinebeck. And he came into your cab one night. And why don't you take it from there? Rick, let, let, I, I hate to correct you, but let me correct you. He was the nephew of Eno Ferrari. Or, or do you mean Enzo? Enzo. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. So he was the nephew. Okay. Now we embarked on a, a very interesting project with Stefano. 
He was involved in film to some degree. And I, I think there was a Columbia Pictures production by the name of T-Rex. And yeah. it, it was a very unusual movie about a cop slash dinosaur. And there were a lot of big names attached for a short time before they would drop out, like Patrick Swayze and Mel Gibson and Schwarzenegger. And I think eventually Whoopi Goldberg signed on to do it. From what I understand, I've never seen the movie, but it was released direct to video at one point. Jonathan Betchel was the director and they yeah. released the largest direct to video disaster in film history. But I, I, I could be wrong about that. There's been other bad ones since then. Um, oh, that, that, that makes perfect sense, Rick. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be involved in it if it wasn't a disaster. That much I can't. Yeah, well, that, that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah, I, I, it'd be like me to be involved with the Titanic. <laughs> it sounds very much like me. I have seen the film. I happened to be at somebody's house in California and they had it in their tape rack. And you're right. I don't think I've ever met anybody that really enjoyed the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, it's such a bizarre concept. Now, Stefano wanted Tim Wilkie's music to be on the soundtrack. Even the lead theme to the movie was a song called Hero. Right. That, that you wrote and you had me produce it for you, in fact. Right. Yep. Whatever happened, I mean, what was the final analysis on that? What happened with this film? What happened was shortly after we produced that song, Steph called me. During the whole thing, time things was, was going on with it, there was a legal thing going with Whoopi Goldberg. They had a case going back and forth because she did not want to do this film. Sisters Act 2 had come up and Sisters Act 1 was a big success. So she contacted Steph, from what I know of it, and wanted to put back the filming of his movie. He didn't want to. She threatened to walk, and there was a big lawsuit going. Well, in the process, Steph ended up suing Whoopi, which got him in very bad terms with the industry, because everybody liked Whoopi. So certain music publishers wouldn't work with Steph. They cut him, shut him down. They just wanted nothing to do with him. So what happened is they had ended up having to go with their in-house track because they just, they couldn't get anything from anybody and he didn't have the money to go outside and pay for what we were doing. I remember some of that on the periphery, right. but it's fuzzy because I didn't know all the details. And also it was a long time ago. Uh, I do remember producing the song. I remember spending about eight hours doing the vocals and I would just say, that was good, Tim. Do it again. And then fi finally, you're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not going to do it again. Yeah. But that, I, that, I was a pain in the ass, as I recall, about that. Comment. Oh, hey, I wasn't that easy to work with either, Rick, <laughs> as I recall. We recorded that at Chris Winham's studio, in fact. And as we did a few things, we made uh, quite a few recordings over time. Do you have any of the recordings of either the band playing live on video or cassette or any of the demos that were made? Do you have any of that stuff? No, actually, Robin has all that stuff. Robin does. Yep, and seeing that we're not on the best of the terms, I don't really get access to it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, she's moved a couple of times since then, so I don't know whether she's, you know, carried it with her or what. But burned it or, you know, most of that stuff is gone. Used it as a coaster. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 
Well, guess what, Tim? I do have a copy of the song Hero. And if you don't mind, I'd like to play it on the show right now. Show the listeners. Oh, uh, uh, sure. Does that sound okay? Sounds good to me. All right. This is a song from a soundtrack that never happened that ended up on a movie that was the worst direct-to-video disaster of all time. Here it is. <laughs> Here it is. The song Hero. This is Tim Wilkie.
Well, well, well. I mean, can you believe it was as long ago as it was? Was that 28 years ago or something like that, Tim? Oh my God, yeah. Most of the members of the band had left by then, and I had to use my band, the Rick Z Band, as the band that played that song. So we had Carl Allwire on bass, John Coghill on guitar, Dandelia on drums. I think I sang backup, Maybe That's It, and you sang lead. I think we had a guy named Rob Pashman on keyboard who was just a session guy or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's not a bad little recording. God, you know, Rick, it's been a long time since I've heard it. Yeah. We did one thing with Chris in his studio where we had, remember the one of the first violinists for the Hudson Valley Symphony? She'd come up to us at the one of the gigs and asked if she could play with us. Yeah, that's right. That's Rachel Hammond. Oh, okay. And we didn't record that stuff with Rachel at Chris's studio. We recorded it at Baird Winham's studio. Oh, yep, you're right. Oh my God. That was a whole different set of material for all different reasons. Right. We did a lot of stuff. We worked with Jack DiPietro in his studio as well. Oh yeah. Remember that? that? He was on the show not too long ago. That was the one in Red Hook, right? That was the one in Red Hook. Yeah. Oh my God. So leaving the topic of music for just a second, we'll come back to that. You do okay. a lot more than just play music. One of the things that you do is you paint. And I don't mean houses, you, you're an artist. How did you get into that? And do you do shows in the area? There's a lot of beautiful galleries and stuff to, to do shows in, in the Hudson Valley. I started painting, oh God, years ago. I mean, my older brother who has passed since Greg Wilkie was very well known as an artist. And growing up, we all kind of took our corners and his was art. So I kind of kept mine in the background and, and did something else. As I got older, I, I'd always painted as a hobby. My sister-in-law, Kathy, got a hold of my stuff and said, hey, I want to push this stuff. And uh, so we got it out in some of the local galleries and some of the galleries online. And uh, in fact, actually, we've been all over the area. During the summer, I was featured at Catskill Art in Kingston Plaza. I was their front window. Next month, I'm very active with ASK, which is the Art Association for Kingston. And uh, we have a big show on the Strand in uh, all of December. And then I'm going to be over at Taste Buds all of February in Red Hook. Wow. You're all over the place. <laughs> You know, you're not just an artist in terms of painting, but you're also a writer. And I don't mean just songs. You write books, not just one or two or three books, but you've got four mm. books out. Uh, that's impressive. It's not easy yes. to write books. What are the names of your books? And if I'm not mistaken, you have a new one out. Uh, the latest one is Ice Pack. Ice Pack is basically a fantasy sci-fi type story. For the most part, I stay between science fiction fantasy and horror. I have two horror books. Uh, one is Breathless and one is called The Corn Maze and then a sci-fi uh, book called Up River and Ice Pack. These are all available on Amazon and coming soon, The Children of Abraham will be the fifth one. The fifth one? It, it takes a while to write a book. How long does it take you to write one? I can usually put these out in eh, four to six months. Okay. It depends. I mean, sometimes like uh, you can get stuck and you can be hung up for a couple of weeks. I've written myself into a corner a couple of times. 
Yeah, the problems of a writer. I, I think the two of us uh, embarked on writing a screenplay one time, if you remember <laughs> that, but we didn't make it very far. I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> Man, I just knew it. I, you know, I was like, he's going to, yeah, that, that, that was it. Well, we, we ran into some creative differences. <laughs> I, I think I remember that. I think we, we wrote a song together one time and it was, I think it was called Air, but, but yeah. I, I can't be sure of that. I, I mean, there's no copy of it anywhere that I know of. I think we had a, a little better luck writing songs than we did writing screenplays. Yeah. <laughs> but you went on to to write your books and and that's fantastic congratulations by the way uh tim yeah well you know i have to right now i have to thank horizon magazine because Jeannie at horizon was the first one to publish me and she had been an editor for uh stephen king hmm. wow and she was the first one to take a chance because writing just like art like that is a very tight and they don't like to let outsiders in, you know? And when you don't really go to school for it and you don't meet the people and you're coming in from the outside, that that's a hard circle to break. And it takes somebody like Jeannie with, you know, a huge heart to say, hey, I'll give you a shot. Well, bringing this back to music for a second, uh, you've written a lot of songs. I, I mean, you're a very prolific songwriter. I think I learned 40 or 50 of your songs at one time. And I was always pretty amazed that you could take the same three chords and fashion all these different melodies around them to come up with this wide, diverse group of tunes that, that sounded different from each other. Do you still write songs? No. No, I haven't written songs in a long time. Now, it's kind of hard because it's something that I connect almost with another life, you know? Just not to get too personal here, but when the band broke up, my marriage broke up too. We were married 22 years, so I can't complain. She definitely gave it her all. <laughs> yeah, and you had two children, Justin and Blake. I would ask how old they are, but I, I don't want to get depressed, so I, I don't think I will. <laughs> well, Justin's in Afghanistan right now. Okay, interesting. I didn't lifer, know. He's he's a lifer in the military, special forces. Wow. And that Blake. Doesn't, that doesn't surprise me, by the way. I remember Justin, you training Justin to throw knives at a. At a <laughs> You remember that? God. You did a lot of crazy things back then, Tim. You juggled fire. You, I think you said, <laughs> remember setting your lawn on fire that one time? Yes, I do. <laughs> Sorry to bring that up, but it, it seemed, well, we're on yeah. the topic, you know. You know, I quit that when I set myself on fire. <laughs> I think that only makes sense. Right. Uh, time, it goes by so fast. Oh, God, it sure does. You know, while we're on the subject of the military, Tim, there's always rumors that go around about the guests that I have on the show, and I give them a chance to confirm or deny certain things. And it is Veterans Day, so it seems appropriate. You told me one time you were in Vietnam, but then another time, strangely enough, you told me you were not in Vietnam. So can we clear the air right now? Were you in Vietnam? I was not in Vietnam, actually. I was a uh, draft dodger. Yeah. I, one of the, I was one of the guys that, that burnt their, their draft card. I was drafted, but never went. It was towards the end of the war. 
And it actually was just before they pardoned everybody on the draft Dodgers. And I can tell you, we were sitting at, at a fire at Miller's and a bunch of the local Rhinebeck people were there that uh, you, you probably know all their names. Mm-hmm. And we all took our draft cards and threw them in the fire. Which was kind of silly because they could still find us. I thought of that later. It's like, that doesn't stop them from finding us. <laughs> it's not like you went to Canada. No. Even though my father offered. I had two brothers that were in at the time in Nam. And when my draft came, he, uh, he said, I'll, we have family in, in Canada. I will take you there. At that time, there was a little Woolworth store in, in North Troy, up near the Canadian border. And you could walk in the top and walk out the bottom in Canada. <laughs> well, I'm so glad I finally know. Uh, you're a mysterious man, Tim Wilkie. And there's- Man of mystery. Yes, man of mystery. There's a lot I know about you and a lot I don't know about you. And it's been great to have you on the show. I can't believe how fast the time goes by. Uh, this podcast certainly did. We're, we're just about out of time. But before we go, I want to play one more Tim Wilkie song. This is something that we recorded at Baird Wynnum's studio here in Rhinebeck, The Trees. Uh, you, you sing lead on it. I think I played tambourine and 12-string acoustic. We have Carl Allwire on it. I think I sing backup on it, too. You remember all of my life? Oh, yes. You think you're ready to hear it after all these years? Oh, my God. Yep, let it, let it go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tim Wilkie with a beautiful song, All of My Life. I've already heard Ooh, 
sunlight it shines on the earth. Your sunlight it shines on the earth. Let me touch the spot that burns deep, runs hot. Take me as I am. So we know time goes by, that much we know, and friendships stay together, sometimes they don't. We haven't really talked that much in 25 years, Tim. Why did we drift apart? Well, actually, right, like I said, my marriage broke up and I moved to California. It was, it was, it was a difficult time because I missed everybody, you know, it's like, that's why I came back, I mean. It's good to have you back. Thank you for being on the show and for helping me stroll down amnesia lane. <laughs> I appreciate it. Love being with you. Tim, let's not wait so long next time. And who knows, one of these days we might even strum up a couple of tunes. That sounds good. You've been listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Josie Grant. Come back next time. We'll have another talented Hudson Valley artist here for you. And we'll see you then.